Welcome to episode 34 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week for our inaugural 2021 episode is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. So let's get started. Um, I've been working on a predictions article and you know, I've narrowed it down you know, from a cellular networking perspective to three big trends. And so I want to reveal one of those on the podcast today and stay tuned for my Forbes article likely posting Friday or early the following week. Uh, it's no surprise, but you know, a lot of my other fellow analysts in the industry are, are predicting the same thing. And it's about private networking. And when we look back at uh, 2020, um, there were plenty of trials. I think people were kicking the tires on it, but there've been some significant developments that have occurred. And in particular, you know, I've been following Nokia here and I really believe it, even though Nokia's, you know, they, they, they've had some challenges, um, there's been further management turnover, um, but that's the new CEO sort of right-sizing the business and getting things aligned there. But a, a real shining star for the company has been private networking and, you know, almost 200 deployments to date, you know, with Nokia. and. I, what I really believe is going to accelerate, especially 5G private networking deployment this year, is the fact that um, they uh, they announced, I believe it was in July of last year, sort of um, an end-to-end -end offering that's focused on standalone for 5G. And, uh, and obviously, these 200 deployments to date have been a mix of LTE and 5G, but we've talked about standalone before. Um, it brings the true promise of 5G with throughput and, uh, and latency, um, given you're, you're matching that, that core network infrastructure uh, that's enabled with 5G with RAN infrastructure that's enabled for 5G. And, and I believe AT&T, you know, within the U.S. should be um, a leader as well. In October of last year, they announced a partnership with Nokia where AT&T plans to integrate Nokia's um, 5G standalone solutions and the breadth and depth of the Nokia private networking solutions uh, into an AT&T managed service. And really uh, that's gonna help facilitate uh, the ease of deployment for businesses that wanna kick the tires on it. And we're gonna talk about the C-band um, spectrum auction uh, later in the podcast, but obviously a lot of what's driving this is access to spectrum. You know, when you look at recent auctions, you know, whether it was through CBRS or C-band, um, you're seeing non-carriers uh, bidding for this. You're seeing municipalities, you're seeing utilities, oil and gas. And, and so that democratization of, of access to license spectrum is really the impetus that's, you know, kind of driving things here. So I'd love to get your, your insights, Angela, on private networking as well. Yeah, I mean, I think private networking is going to be something that's going to be a long-term evolution. I, I think that last year was very much a trial year. Um, I think what will be interesting is to see how much attention will be paid to private networking once the Olympics happens in Japan, um, because I think there are going to be a lot of things that were planned for last year um, that will have been upgraded and improved upon and refined in a way that make 5G look very good. Um, and I believe that in Japan, um, they will have a much more mature 5G network. And there will be a lot of interesting use cases that will get people excited about private 5G networking, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, we'll probably see a very 
big kickstart in the second half of the year uh, when it comes to private networking. I do think that India might be an interesting application as well mm-hmm. because there is such a greenfield opportunity and they are starting from zero this year. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that ends up being private networking. Um, additionally, I think there's a lot of industry that wants to get involved and I think a lot of them have figured out whether the time is right for them or not. And I think we'll find out this year whether or not private 5G networking is really going to take off now or if it's going to need to wait for later releases like release 17. Yeah, you know, you make a really good point. You know, the Olympics, are that's a big stage globally, right? And I think a lot of people have been fatigued with what they refer to as the 5G hype cycle. But um, that's going to put, you know, you know, not only 5G, but private networking front and center there. So I didn't even think about that, but that, that'll, that's just another reason why, you know, I believe potentially it's going gonna, it's gonna to see some tremendous momentum this year. So we'll keep our eyes open and we'll report back as things develop. Let's move to your first topic this week. And there's a little bit of uh, news out of Qualcomm again. Yeah, so Qualcomm uh, decided to wait until the first week of the year, right before CES, to announce that they will be launching a low and 5G chipset, uh, which means that they will be launching in devices ranging from $125 to $250. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was actually part of a conversation I had with Christian Almon last year, where I asked him what will this four series look like in terms of price, you know, product pricing. And he said that it would be around 125 to 250. So that's a very large component of the market. Mm-hmm. That's basically all of India, China, developing Africa. developing parts of the yeah. world. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be you know anywhere from one to two billion 5G devices will be in that price range. So it'll be a very big deal for the industry to gain momentum and to maximize the amount of 5G subscribers that they have on their network because the reality is transitioning from 4G to 5G not only improves user speeds, but also improves utilization of network infrastructure and spectrum, which ultimately improves profitability as well as introducing new services that can allow the operators to be more, make more money. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, I, I don't think there's anyone that can touch Qualcomm right now, you know, given just the, the, the range of price points that they're supporting. And this is really, from my perspective, going to really accelerate the deployment and adoption of 5G when you have, yeah. because, you know, one of the huge barriers is like, hey, you know, if it's a, if it's a thousand US, you know, or a thousand euro, you know, type smart device, that's going to lock you out of a lot of the, the customer segmentation. Unlike operators like Verizon, the cheapest 5G device you can get today is going to be $400 because it has to have millimeter wave because that's until late last year, that's all you could do on Verizon. And Verizon wants every device to have millimeter wave. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting development. In addition to that, Qualcomm got a new CEO who was previously the company's president, Cristiano Amon. And he was kind of the heir apparent. So it made sense that he would be become CEO. I think it maybe happened a year too late. It depends on who you ask, but uh, it was kind of expected that he would become CEO and he has. So the good thing is, is that he really understands 5G and he's been leading 
you know, spearheading the lead on 5G. And I think he's the perfect CEO for them to, you know, eventually move into 6G and future Gs. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I've met him at, you know, the, the 5G Summit events and uh, he's, uh, he's incredibly pragmatic. You know, he, like you said, he understands the technology, but he also understands the business. And that's often a hard combination to find in an executive. So no surprise. I think, you know, everyone was expecting it. Uh, to your point, it may have been a little bit later than, than expected. But, uh, and I believe, right, he's, he's going to be taking over mid this year. Is that right? Yeah. He'll be Excellent. taking over in June. Yeah. The reality is he's, he's been running a big chunk of the company for the last few years. So it, it's almost a formality at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Great. Well, hey, thanks for the update there, Angel. Let's go to my second topic this week, and I want to talk about SK Telecom and AWS. So on prior podcasts, I have spoken about AWS Wavelength. Uh, this is their mobile edge, uh, you know, services platform. And so early this year, uh, late breaking, SK Telecom and Amazon Web Services uh, announced a partnership to deliver um, edge-based cloud services. And um, the way this gets enabled is through what uh, AWS refers to as Wavelength Zones. And so um, AWS has deployed its first Wavelength Zone in the central part of South Korea. Um, there are plans to expand that footprint. I mean, Seoul and Busan are two of the larger cities in the country. Uh, those are likely coming very, you know, very soon as well. But um, this is going to enable, you know, a supercharge of 5G services. And as I've spoken in the past, you know, I, I track all of the carriers on a global basis. And from my perspective, SK Telecom has done an exceptional job leaning into 5G services and not simply access. And so they've done a lot of things mostly on the consumer front. But if you think about this, what this can do is supercharge, you know, cloud, you know, cloud-based gaming and that sort of thing on the consumer side. And certainly on the enterprise side, it's going to uh, unlock a whole host of applications from my perspective that are that require very low latency, like video intensive applications. I've spoken to what I've referred to as extended SME, where you're using um, high resolution, you're transmitting high resolution video um, to a device in you know, a field service type you know, scenario and where you can send a technician out with limited amount of training, but have this smart device and this connection that's connected back to a hub where you know you can diagnose and troubleshoot um, issues with a with a trained technician on the other end there. So um, I think this is very very exciting and um, for for the South Korea market, it, it's going to continue in my mind to uh, uh, elevate SK Telecom and it's like they they keep they keep sort of adding to their portfolio and their capabilities and certainly their competitors in that country are capable but SK Telecom from my perspective is taking a real leadership position. Any any thoughts there? No, I've just kind of been following all the different zones that they keep lighting up. I believe that they're up to 20 zones now or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. and probably, probably more, you know, that, that was of last year or so. Yeah, we'll see what, what the total number is, but it's interesting to see that they're ramping pretty aggressively. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move to your second topic. And, uh, you know, we, we like to have fun with um, the conspiracy theorists out there and, um, and I did see this story as well, but you want to sort of talk about uh, some sort of rumor about uh, a 5G chip implanted within the COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, so I think we've covered this more than once before. Yeah. Uh, but it keeps coming up because people are stupid. 
Um, <laughs> They're uneducated. <laughs> uneducated, I would have said the first time or second time. I think we're, we're, we've gotten to the stupid point. But the reality <laughs> is, is that people's un, lack of understanding of cellular technology leads them to believe anything that they hear. And one of those is that COVID can be caused by 5G or that 5G is somehow connected to COVID in one way or another. In this case, 5G is connected to COVID in the sense that it is a multi-tier conspiracy, that there are chips in the vaccine and that those chips happen to be 5G chips. Right. And what ended up happening was a, a gentleman by the name of Mario uh, from Italy had found that people were sharing a schematic of a COVID 5G chip diagram. And people did some research and discovered that, including Mario, that it was actually a guitar pedal <laughs> diagram. I love it. And that it was actually made by a company called Boss Makes Guitar Pedals, mm -hmm. and called the Boss Metal Zone Guitar Pedal. And as a result, uh, people just didn't understand that, like, first of all, 5G chip would be way more complicated than that. Yeah. And that there are no chips in vaccines and the only association of chips with vaccines is that there are NFC chips on the vials to track where they've been and what the temperatures that they've been under so that they can actually be administered safely. So yeah. this is just a continuation of the whole COVID 5G conspiracy thing mm -hmm. um, and, and this getting tied to the conspiracy around chips and vaccines. But it's been debunked by pretty much everyone around the internet by this point. And it's really unfortunate because it's nowhere near being true. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I had coffee with my stepmother just the other day, and we were talking about 5G, and she she thinks that it's dangerous, you know, somehow, you know. And so there, there's a lot of FUD that's, that's put out there. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, silly, you know, silly things like, you know, what, what you just talked about, what you just addressed. And, you know, it, do, it doesn't help, you know, it doesn't help at all. And, you know, it just creates confusion in the marketplace. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, you and I are frequent contributors on Forbes to educate people and why um, we like to record these podcasts every week. So uh, interesting. Let's move to my third and final topic this week. And it's uh, the C-band auction. And um, I believe in a prior podcast, we, we talked about this. Estimates it's the last were, podcast, actually. Yeah, it may have been. It was, at, it was at 50 billion at the last point we spoke. Right, right. And, you know, and, and obviously, uh, you know, see, th this is an important auction because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's selling mid-band spectrum assets that are highly prized for its balance. 280 megahertz of it. And it's and it's it's a tremendous amount, right? And and just the characteristics of the, of the spectrum and mid-band gives you the best balance of performance and propagation. And you know, a lot of analysts were expecting it not even you know to, to surpass 35 billion, but uh, at last count, it was close to 80 billion. As it's already past 80 billion. Is it already okay? So today it's past 80 billion. Yeah, and there's a couple of rounds that are happening today, and. The most recent round, we are at eighty billion three hundred and sixty-eight million. It's unbelievable, and you know, and actually, I spoke with NPR earlier this week. Um, that story should air any day, but I mean, given given the the events that unfolded yesterday in Washington D.C., we'll we'll see uh, if that's delayed. But you know, NPR was wanting to get my perspective on, hey, you know, why you know why did 
why has the auction spiraled so you know sort of out of control and, and hit the stratosphere here? And you know, it's no secret in the U.S. that that AT&T and Verizon ha need mid-band spectrum. Uh, they have very very you know small uh, possession of that, and um, they realize how important it is going to be to acquire these assets to build out their 5G networks. Um, you know, T-Mobile. You know, we've spoken about T-Mobile in the past. You know, with with the Sprint acquisition, they're 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 sitting very very favorably from you know a low mid and high band spectrum footprint. Um, you know, and you know, and actually AT and T and Verizon, you know, were were asking the FCC to not allow T-Mobile to even bid in this auction because they have so many mid band spectrum assets. But T-Mobile did participate. Um, a lot of people believe that that actually having T-Mobile participate actually bid up the auctions, which I, I believe is true. Um, right. And even, even you know, um, T-Mobile's CEO, Mike Siebert, was, was predicting that, you know, he, he, he thought that AT&T and Verizon would, would beat, beat each other up and, and, and bid up the auction. And that's exactly what's happened. So uh, one, of, one of my big concerns here, though, is that, you know, we talked about this, you know, last year on the last podcast, you know, the FCC is sort of beating its chest saying, look what we've done, look at all the, the dollars we're bringing into the government coffers. But at the end of the day, this is going to potentially increase the cost for, for subscribership. Oh, no, it absolutely will. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> this will be passed down to consumers. Who else are they going to pass it down to? Yeah, their business customers? But they're, they're a small fraction of the size of their businesses. Overall, it's going to be consumers who pay for it. Yeah, now, you know, you know, I expect, you know, one of my other predictions, you know, for this year and stay tuned for that Forbes article is that um, you're going to really see discrete 5G service delivery take off. You know, in a 4G world, it was all about access. But in order for these operators to recoup uh, their investment in spectrum assets and the billions of dollars they're spending on rolling out infrastructure, they're going to have to go out uh, and, and deploy well, enterprise services that, that enterprises are going to pay big bucks for. So what I was going to say is, and you've actually made this point last year, so we're, we're kind of like ping-ponging off each other on these points, but yeah. the reality is the cost of deploying this infrastructure is going to be massive. Yeah. And they're already spending, let's say, 30 to 30 billion each. Let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, Verizon and AT&T both are around 30 billion for the spectrum. They're going to probably end up spending almost just as much to roll out the spectrum because this is a high band. This is 3.7 to 4 gigahertz. Yeah. So it's not, it does not propagate anywhere near as well as 2.5 will. Yeah. Uh, and that's with T-Mobile utilizing Sprint's HPUE technology, which allows 2.5 to propagate like 1.9. So mm -hmm. it's going to be hard. They're going to have to densify their networks even more than they Big are. Time. Have. Big and time. Verizon has basically admitted that they're never going to deploy millimeter wave in it blanket fashion because they can't and they shouldn't but de deploying this mid-band is going to be very expensive and they're going to have to figure out the whole permitting situation yeah. and arguing with municipalities and conspiracy theories around 5g causing cancer and all these other things and i think it's going to take them yeah. a while to roll this out just because of the co capital cost is going to be required to roll these things out and i honestly think the operators are going to ask for some kind of government program to accelerate the deployment of 5G because they just spent 30 billion each on exactly. the spectrum and they're like, where's the rest of our budget for infrastructure? Yeah. So 
I think that's going to be the biggest concern, and I think they're going to ask for the government to step in. And with a new administration and with one-party rule, effectively, um, it'll be interesting to see how quickly that happens or if it even does happen. But I do think it will be something that will be necessary to happen in order for the two operators to catch up to T-Mobile in a meaningful fashion anytime soon. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you, br you brought up the fact that given the, the spectrum characteristics, it's going to require densification. Um, and that's not easy. You know, even in my hometown of Austin, Texas, where we pride ourselves on being a, a tech forward city, um, the operators have had huge challenges with the local government here because they, they're just uneducated. They don't understand 5G. And it's, it, it goes back to a lot of that misinformation. And I live in a city where we are also technologically advanced, but we also have Qualcomm. And they've done a good job of educating our government, I believe, because yeah. we have all three carriers with 5G in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And that's why I will be writing my article on Forbes about that experience and what I predict will happen this year with the different carriers and 5G experiences and devices. So stay tuned for that. But it's really interesting because it does really come down to municipality. And I think we need to have more of a federal approach to streamlining these things, which I think the FCC was trying to do. But yeah. I think there was a little bit of overreach and they ended up getting into a lot of legal kerfuffles. Yeah, I agree with you. We'll keep our eyes on this and see where it goes. Man, could it go to 100 billion? Who knows? That would be uh, crazy. Uh, let, let's uh, let's end with your th third topic this week, and you want to talk about T-Mobile and a, a fixed wireless access announcement. Yeah, so T-Mobile just announced basically that they are expecting to update their current fixed wireless deployments, which are in pilot currently, with 4G to 5G, and that they expect the speeds to be much faster and what the 4G offering is is going to deliver today. Mm -hmm. And considering the experience that I've seen with their mid-band here in San Diego, because they haven't officially rolled it out, but I was able to find it in a couple places, and I was very impressed with it. The reality is there's a very high expectation that someone with a mid-band coverage, which is what I believe T-Mobile is going to primarily use for this, will, will get anywhere from three to 500 megabits with a fixed wireless solution and having that kind of deployment with enough capacity, which I think they have, I think there's an absolute opportunity for them to roll out a fixed wireless 5G on mid-band that will give competition to the, the Comcasts and the AT&Ts in places where they've never had competition before, which will ultimately drive better user experiences and better pricing because I know people who just don't have a choice and they're really not happy with their experience. Yeah. You know, um, I, I kind of perused um, the list of bidders on, you know, on C-band and, and to your mid-band spectrum point, um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of cable operators that are trying to go after those assets. Um, there are a lot of wireless uh, ISPs as well. Um, so, you know, and, and it's no secret that the cable industry is in, is in transition. They're trying to figure out where to go. Um, you know, they're getting their lunch eaten by, um, the streaming services with, with original content. Right. And so, um, and that's one of the reasons why Dish is getting into, um, you know, mobile, you know, mobile access as well. So, that's why Comcast already has a mobile service, right? Even though they're piggybacking on Verizon. Right. 
Yeah, good point. And charter is also yeah. big. I mean, it's 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 everything is just kind of melding together into one. It is, yeah, it's sort of, sort of all glomming together. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Well, hey, buddy, um, this was a great first podcast to kick off the new year. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out to us and provide a special, specific 5G topic they would like for us to cover in a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.